poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG has over $3.2 million in live MTT caches, feasted in the streets of high-stakes mixed cash games for well over a decade, and took down the 2019 DraftKings World Championship for another $2 million in December of 2019, the one and only Jesse Martin. Some of the highlights in Jesse's live tournament poker career include two gold WSOP bracelets coming from the 2013 Deuce to Lowball event and the 2017 Limit Mix Triple Draw Lowball event. He also has a third place finish in the 2014 50K Poker Players Championship at the WSOP and a gold medal finish in the $2,500 No Limit Hold'em event at the 2007 Five Star World Poker Classic. The man is one of those rare, well-rounded beasts who can play pretty much any and all poker variant at an exceptionally high level. Today, you're going to take a trip down memory lane as Jesse fills you in on his poker origin story, while also letting you know what he's fired up about working on moving into the future. If you've ever wondered how some human beings are able to find success in whatever field they choose to enter, this is an episode you don't want to miss. In my conversation with Jesse Martin, you're going to learn how Jesse's experience and success in poker set him up to thrive in daily fantasy sports, how Jesse has a spooky knack for making career transitions at exactly the right time, why his latest pursuit and passion isn't in the world of cards or daily fantasy sports, but a new game, day trading on the stock market, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you one of the all-time great mixed game crushers in the universe, Jesse Martin. Jesse, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm doing quite well. As I was saying in the our pre-conversation, uh, this is late night edition. This is the, the latest cpg episode ever recorded so if i go off the rails it's because i'm about to <laughs> my mind is used to going to bed now and sadly people are probably thinking it's like 2 a.m but it's like 8 30 p.m <laughs> eastern time um you get old i've grown out of my days of staying up all night playing cards yeah um well yeah my schedule is uh is, is very i i i work you know, during the day in the in the morning all, all the time now. So I am much much different schedule than than my full time poker schedule used to be. So this is a this is kind of prime time relaxing time for me. Yeah, let's uh, so let's cover the poker and then we'll talk about your new schedule, right? And if if we get there, I, I think like your poker story is probably pretty long. There's probably a lot of components to it. Um, I know that. Yeah, you've been around forever. I remember playing at Commerce and seeing you in the room, um, wandering around, playing in all the games. So tell me your career. How'd you get started in the world of poker? Like, what does that journey look like? 
just the the typical rounders moneymaker journey really um it i, I went to syracuse uh and i started in 1998 and i think um my junior year uh my friends a, a lot of my uh my, my buddy who's in a fraternity his fraternity um brothers were playing a poker game and he brought me over one one night um i had always been i've always been kind of a math guy and i've been a little bit into gambling, um, but I never, never, I never played Texas Hold'em and really never had played poker much, even although I felt like I always had like some sort of something drawing me to, to it. Anyways, I, I went over there. What do you mean by that? Something drawing you to it? Um, for example, I, I used to watch um, poker on ESPN even before they had whole cards. And um, I, I was, I, I used to, bet on sports in middle school and i used to you know win my father you know my my, my father's small company i used to win his uh march madness pool every year until they told me i couldn't join anymore you know? <laughs> really yeah how, I mean, how do you get kicked out of a march madness pool when you're a kid you know my dad was the boss and it was a small little company and i, I guess they were sick of his his little you know 12 year old son winning the pool every year and that i he kind of kicked me out, but I mean, he, he said, he's like, listen, like enough people have kind of made little comments about how you went, you keep, <laughs> they don't want to compete against you. So yeah, you're destroying morale. Um, exactly. It's a nice harbinger for things to come later down the, down the pipe for you. Um, right. but going back to poker, you know, you're, you said you were drawn to poker. Were you drawn to card games, all kinds of card games? Did you yeah, play so any growing up? So there, well, there was also a, um, a a casino near Syracuse, Turning Stone Casino, where a lot of people actually probably got their live poker start. And um, my sophomore year, I had read a book about blackjack, and I had started going to the Turning Stone once a week and basically grinding comps. And like I, 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 I in the end, I don't think that I had a strategy strategy to win. But at the time, from reading that book, and maybe I did, maybe that. It, it, it was not a cap card counting strategy. It was like a money management strategy, which now that I'm like an experienced professional gambler, like it doesn't make sense how it works. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I did, you know, over like the time that I was doing it, I probably took 10 trips and I was a small winner. And I like, at the time I was 19 years old and I was getting all these comps. So I'd like, I'd eat like a steak dinner at the end of the night, or I'd bring my girlfriend up and, you know, we'd, we'd go do something, something there, you know, with my like special, like, you know, $40 in comps or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So getting from either betting $5 or, you know, $25, like when, on, on the big bet time. Anyway. So yeah, I, I was just always drawn to gambling and cards and, but I, I, it, 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 it my camp, I, I played cards and I, it, so yeah, but I had never played Hold'em and I'd never, even considered being a professional gambler or at least not a professional card player it was never really something on my mind. And, but, uh, but once I started playing, I, I won that first little 10 man sit and go, even though I had no idea what was going on, but obviously mo or most of the other people didn't either. And yeah, I was hooked. What, what was it about the, that hooked you in since you had never considered that life before you win the sit and go and you're like, Oh, this is for me. Yeah. Just the camaraderie, the strategy, um, everything about it i just i loved right away um it, it just felt like uh a, a nice little combination of 
of my personality, my skill sets a little bit at the time, as much as I, I realized that at the time. And and poker's a great game. And sitting around in college with um, you know, getting to know some, you know, some of the people I didn't know is my is one of my best friends' friends, but you know, it's a great way to interact with new people and yeah, I felt very comfortable in that type of uh situation. So yeah, it was uh I was just hooked from the start. And then I uh I I I don't know if it was the next day, but it was certainly that week I went to Barnes and Nobles and probably the same place that I picked up that blackjack book. I uh I just looked for all the poker books and luckily I, I just I found two plus two uh books right away. And you know, some of those are outdated now, but back then that was really all you needed if you were you were um, reading a two plus two book and could understand it and could apply it like that's really all you needed to win at the time so after you you get your books and you start studying poker you start learning more you're still in school um i'm sure that like like at some point there there was you're playing poker you're doing quite well and what path do you choose right do you choose a career do you choose gambling um tell me what led you to that decision what were you in school for to begin with um information systems technology was, was a major it's actually a really good major um i just i wasn't that great at it um i, I got by but it was uh it was just, just using tech you know this was 2001 2002 at the time using technology um and integrating it um into business and that was it was it was like a flagship uh major at the time and I was okay at it, but I, I knew that I wasn't going to be a computer programmer. I wasn't good, talented enough, and I didn't enjoy it enough. And uh, yeah, so I, I figured I'd just, you know, once I got a degree, it was a good enough degree, and I'd go figure it out in the workplace after. But I really had no no plan. So so yeah, so so kind of fast forward to after graduating, I moved back to Massachusetts. I had. A little little bit of money just from from playing poker and at turning stone and wherever else i was playing i mean i built up probably small five figures just doing that while i was there and uh i would just i would go to foxwoods and uh i would grind limit holding at foxwoods a couple of days a week go to red sox games when i wasn't doing that and that was uh yeah, just out of school. My parents weren't too happy about it, but that, that, that's what I was doing. And I was beating the games, you know, handily. I mean, I was, you know, making that big bet an hour plus or whatever it was, you know, playing 15, 30 limit hold'em and the, the games were amazing. And I wasn't that good um, in retrospect at the time. I thought I was probably, I, I thought I was, I, I knew I wasn't the best. There was a couple of guys who were really good, but then most of the guys were, you know, really terrible. So I was just kind of sitting there grinding, playing tight and making money. And it was amazing really you know, at the time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, sounds like a decent life. Um, yeah. How old were you at the time? What year was this? So it was 2002. So it was before moneymaker really, I, I, I when I wasn't at um, Foxwoods, I would play five ten on a paradise poker. Um, but I, I, I was mostly doing that just to mess around. And well, you're, uh, you're the IT guy. What, what are you doing? You, you're not playing online poker. It seems like that's such a natural thing. But at the time, it wasn't people. I mean, people weren't really taking it seriously yet. It was just slowly getting getting more and more. You know, I was on Paradise. You know, most people weren't even doing that. You know? Yeah. Um, so slowly doing it. And 
And yeah, um, I, I, as as my story progresses, there will be a lot of online poker. I promise. Yeah, we're at two, 2002, so we're about to have moneymaker boom, things kind of go crazy in the poker space. Uh, so at what point when you're grinding out, you know, the 1530 game at Foxwoods, do you decide like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. And then, you know, when you did decide to pursue poker in earnest, like what did that look like progression wise? What were your goals? What'd you set out to do? So, um, I was, I, I was, I had a place in Boston for a couple of months, like a sublet, but mostly I was living at home. Um, just going kind of Foxwoods was like an hour one way and Boston was 40 minutes the other way. And I, uh, I was really doing well. I mean, you know, for, 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 for my age and my limit, I was, I was just kind of chugging along, like building up more and more money with no expenses. And I had a friend who wanted to move to San Diego and, you know, I, my parents were sick of me living at home. Um, <laughs> Get you know, the really, hell out of here. Yeah. They wanted me out. I mean, you know, they're, they're happy, but happy to have me for a little bit, but you know, I, I should, you know, at some point you, you, you should leave. Sure. So, they yeah. put in there 20 years or so. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was ready to get out of there also. And I had a friend moving to San Diego and, uh, I pretty much, I knew that there was card clubs out there. Um, I had been to commerce once. Um, so at, you know, I, at the time I didn't totally realize how I, I knew miles wise, how far it was, but I didn't realize how, if you're going to live in Pacific beach, San Diego, you're really not going to be going to commerce all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I is, but anyways, there were. I, I knew there was the Ocean's Eleven, um, that, which which you could go to every day. So I just uh, moved out to San Diego um, with one friend, and we got an apartment. Um, they they weren't a poker player, um, and I just uh, started, you know, just got out there. Um, it was amazing. It was a great great place to live. Um, met a bunch of friends, and I was just. I just told myself nine to five or, you know, whatever it was, maybe 10 to, 10 to, 10 to four or 10 to six. Um, I would just go grind the, the, the 1530, uh, limit Hold'em game or 2040, maybe at the time at Ocean's 11, just, just do the day shift. And once my friends were off work, I I'd do, you know, San Diego beach things. So that's, that's what I was doing. It's a pretty good spot. I mean, yeah. you can't can't really pick a better location for like weather and all of that. By the way, if you live in like Hollywood, you can't play at Commerce. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you live in Orange County, you can't play at Commerce because of the traffic, you know, much less yeah. San Diego. <laughs> um, a lot of people have come from the San Diego area, though. I know DGAF, I think Sean Snyder as well played a bunch uh, down in yeah, San Diego. Yeah, no, a lot of people. Yeah, there, there's a Rami and yeah, no, there's a huge list of... Uh, of San Diego people, Danny, Danny Fuse. Yeah, they've been playing poker down there for many, many years. Um, How did it go? Were the games better, worse than Foxwoods? Games were slightly worse. Um, it was going fine. Um, but the, the, the big, uh, but, but, but that's when I started really playing online poker, you know, really after two months of going there and, I was doing fine and everything was fine. I was happy. Um, but I did start to play party poker 1530 at the time. And, uh, I used my, I I still remember I used my buddy's credit card. I don't even remember why I used his credit card at this point, but he still reminds me of it. He's like, I, you know, I, I springboarded your whole poker career. (laughs) (laughs) 
um yeah for whatever reason i guess my card wasn't loading on party poker and yeah i, I put you know, not too much you know i handed them probably 1500 in cash and, and yeah and, and just started running good and, and from the start and really ran that up to you know to to, to almost a hundred thousand within you know four or five months and i really just kind of stopped going oceans 11 and i i instead of uh Instead of doing the nine to five at Ocean's Eleven, I started just waking up and uh, what was it? I think it was, you know, 8.30 to 11.30, I'd play, then take an hour off for lunch and then, you know, play three more. It was just three hours, three hours, and that was my day. And I would, you know, keep good notes and, you know, try not to tilt. And just one, once once my hours were up, I would just stop. And it really was great. You know, I'd go to breakfast at this nice little place and drink my tea, green tea. And that's just what I would do every day. And it was it, at the time, the games were so good. And I was just grinding party poker. Yeah, the, the 15, 30 games on party poker. I tried grinding those myself. For some reason, I was never... Like, limit poker did not make sense to me in the beginning. I... Right was like way i don't know i did not understand pot odds so much i don't think i understood equity although i don't know people were using the term equity back then ever um but yeah i remember the 15 30 games i've talked multiple times on this show about the 30 60 games on party poker of yeah the like waking up at four in the morning getting on the list because it's like 70 people deep and like waking up seven hours later and just hoping you didn't oversleep um your seat I would play those games too, but yeah, because of what you're saying, the logistics of getting in, I was at the time I was happy playing the 1530 and the 3060. While clearly, you know, twice the limit, the the games were tougher. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah, the 1530 was kind of just a, a great grind for me. I'd play four to six tables, and and they were yeah. always going too. Like the 1530s, there was tons exactly. of tables. Oh yeah, you could play whenever you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I have. I still have nightmares about Auntie Roro who. I think I've mentioned that screen name multiple times, but I have no idea who it was. But they what just is it again? Auntie Roro. Um, Auntie they know. tortured me. Uh, like I would like for some reason another part of limit poker. Like it's so easy for me to go on tilt playing limit poker. I don't know why it just it just like gets to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you're grinding the fifteen thirty. What what about progression wise? Like how were you actively improving your game back then? Because there's not a lot of, uh, you know, I guess there's two plus two forums. Other than that, really, there wasn't a lot of information or education. And it seems like you're progressing and, yeah, doing quite well. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and I don't, I, it, you know, I have to think back to it. Uh, I certainly was very active on two plus two. I was reading hands all the time. I, I, I posted too. I was like a probably a mid tier as far as like well-known poster. Like I wasn't posting all the time, but I was in there. Um, and, uh, so, so definitely through that. And then, um, I had a buddy, Matt, Matthew Samazic, who, who still plays professionally now. He's had some, some success in tournaments and a very well-known, known LA grinder. And him and I, uh, even though he was still living back in Boston, we would, we would talk hands all the time and he was very good, very like naturally good player, as opposed to me, who I was more like two plus two reading books, you know, talk, you know, so, so, so we, we did well together where his, you know, natural ability and kind of my more like studious as much as you could be studious back then. So we would talk hands and I just had a strategy that, that worked. I, I wasn't elite. I don't think it, or I, yeah, I know I wasn't, I mean, especially compared to, to what, 
you know poker is today i was just i just had certain rules that i that i went by and you know i really you remember any of those rules I had a, I had a whole, I mean, I, I, I memorized all group, all eight groups of the Sklansky starting hands and all that stuff. And I knew exactly what I was defending from the blind and exactly like if under the gun plus two raised, like where I was three betting, you know, ace queen from where I wasn't, you know, flatting ace jack suited, you know, in late position or, or after one cold call or, you know, I, I just had it down in my mind exactly how I how I thought you were supposed to play Hold'em, and it wasn't perfect at all, but it was certainly more than enough to to beat those games. And uh, and then I would read stuff um, on two plus two, and and I would these guys. I wasn't really getting that creative, and these guys were, and I was like, okay. I guess I can check raise this flop, you know, because, you know, every once in a while and, and you know, I start to mix that stuff in. And obviously you get some selection bias where some of the stuff is working for you early. So you keep it at a part of your game and maybe the other <laughs> yeah. stuff you don't. And so I was developing that way, um, but also just playing, you know, you know, pretty strictly by the book, I guess, as much as, you know, whatever, you know, book you choose at the time. I mean, really, like a lot of poker is just building maps in your head of how to navigate specific situations and spots. And I found that like almost any map is better than no map at all when you're just trying to figure stuff out. And so, yeah, you just had really good preflop maps and everybody else kind of was awful and had no map. So like just that in and of itself is enough to generate a, probably a pretty big edge. Yeah. And I would try hard, you know, I mean, not, and you know, most professionals, you know, try hard but you know i was very you know my those three hours like i was i was in there like i was i was focused and i was taking notes and you know so so you know trying hard in poker and not you know trying not to tilt as much as possible that goes a long way you know if you're playing poker every day it goes lo- a, a much longer way than people give it credit for just like yeah. be, playing with intensity playing with presence in the time that you are playing, giving it everything you've got, not like watching YouTube on the side or right. whatever it is the kids do these days. So it sounds like things are going well. You, you built up a six-figure bankroll on party. Yeah. You're playing the 1530. Did you stick with Limit Hold'em? When, at what point did you start venturing to the other games? Right. So that's, so, so the next, uh, I guess the next part of the story is I actually only stayed in San Diego one year, um, which you know, it, 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 uh, th- that's what happened. I, I, I have some friends from, from, from that I met that one year that I'm still friends with today. And it's, it's kind of wild to think about that. I left after a year because it was really a great year, but um, I also had a lot of friends in New York city and I was playing online poker. I wasn't really playing live much at all. And I just, I just kind of picked up my things and moved to New York city. Um, I, I had a cousin who's, who was living there at a, pretty um, nice apartment on the Upper East Side. And he said I could crash with him um, and maybe teach him a little poker um, while while I look for a place. And that's what I did. I stayed with him for a month, um, taught him a little bit about poker. And he actually started grinding like his own little, he he had some side jobs and stuff. So he kind of just started grinding on the side too. and uh, yeah, and I found a place in um, the East Village, and and that's kind of I think I don't know exactly when, but within that first year for sure of being in the East Village, that's when I started playing three six no limit, um, both on PokerStars 
and party poker, but ended up being a lot more poker stars. And that's kind of when I started learning more about poker. That's when I started getting into card runners and uh, understanding that, you know, following David Sklansky's rules weren't, you know, while they could beat the 1530 game, it wasn't how you become a great poker player and started learning a lot more about poker. And, you know, it, 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 and, and felt like I was for a little bit there, one of the better player, you know, not, not one, not not the greatest or anything, but I I felt like I really was progressing at that time, and I started really quickly beating. I was playing six tables with a HUD and all that kind of stuff, and I'd play tournaments on the side, and I was I was those games were amazing too, and my game selection was really good. I'd always you know make sure there was someone with like a forty five PFR or higher at my table at all times and that type of stuff, and I was vigilant about just like not playing in bad games and. I just started really just grinding and my hourly was like, whoa, wait a second. Well, and, and again, the, the part, I, I, I guess, if, if you're listening along, you, you probably realize like, so we just kind of passed Moneymaker and all of a sudden, like, uh, everything blew up. So now, so now poker was crazy. And, uh, and I was right there. I was already kind of in there and I was right there to take advantage of that. So that was, that was amazing. Tell me about the transition to, no limit. By the way, I, I remember the card runners days. Like I remember watching a Townsend video and he had ace queen. He's playing five, five, 10 or one K and L. And like, I, I, I think he just like bet three bet with nut flush draw and over cards and said something along the lines of like, yeah, whatever. Like I just, I have enough equity to just kind of get it all in here on the flop. And I remember thinking like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. me, what do you mean equity? Like, let's let's start investigating these things. Like, all those concepts just from watching play and explain videos of like Brian Townsend, Brian Hastings, Cole South. Those were just invaluable. I think oh, yeah. in that day and age. Yeah, yeah Cole South. I remember, yeah, I just remember because I remember he he dominated. Cole South dominated the party poker no limit games. Just he just crushed them. So like, yeah, yeah, just just. Just being like, oh, I get to now listen to like all his strategy and like, and I knew that like, I knew that he was the best. Like I played with him and like, I just remember like being like, okay, I know what to do about against everyone in this player pool except this guy. And this guy, I have no idea what to do. I mean, he's just so much better than everyone else. So yeah, so um, the transition, you know, I I had played I I had played tournaments and actually in Turning Stone like um when I was at Syracuse the last month that I was there um there was a guy in town who only wanted to play no limit and I would show up and I'd play five ten no limit and I had no idea what I was doing but I I sat there and I played tight and I and I gained experience and the game again was good enough that I, I won, you know, I mean, I was, I felt like I was a winning player and I actually did, you know, luckily win in those games. So I, I had always played a little no limit and I, I, it, Foxwoods, it, it's actually crazy. At Foxwoods, they used to have these nightly $140, I think, uh, $140 rebuy tournaments. And they, they had them a lot. I don't know if it was every night. I think it was like twice a week. And, um, you, you want to guess who the best player in those tournaments was? Foxwoods in 2001. I'm sorry, I put you on the spot at 2002. I, uh, I don't know. Is Greg Raymer. Raymer. So this was before he won the main event, but he was just known as like this like <laughs> tournament guru in the $140 Foxwoods. <laughs> um, and he, 
and yeah, so I would play those, and you know, that was really my no limit, my no limit experience. Um, you know, and if I, I knew Greg a little bit, not well at all, but you know, he 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 was the type of guy who you could ask him a question. Hey, Greg, you know, I had pocket ate some of the gun, and you know, I raised, and this guy three bet me. You know, what would you do there? You know, so that that, that type of stuff. So I, I was always. I always enjoyed No Limit, and I and also that's the other thing about No Limit that you, those days. Even if you didn't play, there was a lot. There was on TV all the time, so you could you could you could watch hands. You know, you see Phil Locke, and how does he play this hand, or you know that type of thing. So, yeah, Amir Vahidi, sure, <laughs> those guys. What? Amir Vahidi and Kathy Lieber. Amir Vahidi, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So sure, you're not studying, you know, peel solver, but you're still. I I I I was very immersed in No Limit, even though at the time I was making most of my money playing Limit. So yeah, the transition was well, it didn't seem all that tough, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about just understanding poker strategy, and then sure. you know, when you understand poker strategy at a deep level, not saying that you did back then, but you probably understood it way deeper than anybody else that you were playing against or most of of the other players, right? Which is enough to kind of just transition to play a different game, right? You have have a decent theoretical background. You can play whatever against people who play really bad and probably figure out a way to gain an edge. Yeah, yeah. And I would would do some pen and paper math that like later became like, oh, that's actually like, uh, that's actually a thing. Like just like four betting. Like I would just, I remember just like with a pen and paper being like, so if Cole three bets me, he's not going to call a four bet unless he has a good hand. Can't I just four bet him? And like, I would just like do all this math out and like, like, yep, I can. (laughs) Like, you know, I would start doing that a little bit. And then, you know, and then obviously the player pool is also starting to learn that stuff too. But yeah, so just kind of, just kind of like grassroots, just kind of trying to figure it out. But also with like the buffer that like, you just have people punting stacks left and right. So like, even if, so like you're getting like that value while you're learning basically. Yeah, that like you just have your hands out and somebody will just give you some money exactly. occasionally. Yeah. Um, so, what year are we in now? Like this era of your career? 2004, 2005. All right. So, what happens after 2004, 2005? You're in you're in New York, right? So yeah, 2004, I moved to New York. Yeah. All right. So the New York era. What what happens mm-hmm. after that? I was just, I just, you know, I was playing poker on poker stars and then I would guess I would go out to the world series, um, for a trip usually and play most, almost all, only cash. Um, really a lot of limit hold'em still because the limit hold'em games, they were good. Um, I would usually go out to the commerce and during February, Probably a lot. It, most Februarys I'd go out to commerce because in New York City it was it was cold, so um, yeah. so, so I would make those trips too, and then the rest of the time I was just really just grinding no limit for 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 multiple years really um, where I wasn't really I, you know eventually I transitioned to mixed games, but I was just it, the games were just so good and and I was grinding I would I I, I would start I started playing a lot more tournaments I played the hundred rebuy you know almost every night and played the Sunday schedule and all that kind of stuff. But I was really just an online grinder, um, trying to get better. Um, I, the other thing I would do that, 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 that I made money in was while I was playing three, six, um, no limit, I would always be 
hawking the the 100 200 and 200 400 limit hold'em tables um and i wasn't net really a regular in those tables especially early on but whenever a good game popped off i would just kind of get in there because you know i knew what i was doing and if, if it's a good game and i'm making you know three four hundred dollars an hour playing three six no limit so i can kind of gamble a little bit every once in a while in the limit holding games so i was just i was just kind of loving you know it's kind of one of those things at the time where it, you know where i'm sure you probably had it or a lot of people you know I, a lot of people relate to this is like wow like this is like the golden well i don't know if i knew it as a golden area but i knew it as a good opportunity like i don't know if i'm going to be able to make 400 dollars an hour sitting in front of my computer the rest of my life so i might as well just play a lot of poker and that's really what i did i mean i you know i had a lot of friends in the city and and i you know friday nights and saturdays i i would go out and all that kind of stuff but Monday through Friday, I was I was in there grinding a lot, you know. Um, so I was just I was just always aware of being like ready to play poker and the fact that like this might be my if I don't ever want to get a real job, like this might be my opportunity to like build up some money. Yeah. What did your parents think once you found success in San Diego and then were being more successful in New York? I think. I think once it started being in New York, where I was like, okay, like I'm making real money. You look at this. Yeah, I, even earlier, they, they were always okay with it. They never, you know, it's not like they disowned me or were like, yeah. thank God, me. just thank God he doesn't have to move back in with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my dad, exactly. <laughs> my, my my dad's thing was always like, hey, you never asked me for money. That I like that. You know, you know, I, like I appreciate that you never asked me for money. There, there's something to be said for that. So, so that you know, and I never asked him for money. So you know, it's. And then eventually, I, so in 2007, I want to say, I mean, I, I could look at my hand in mob to make sure, but I won a um, $2,500 tournament um, in Vegas for like $240,000 or something like that. And for whatever, you, you know how it is with tournaments, like for whatever reason, that was like, okay, now he's like a really good player because he mm -hmm. won a tournament. So, so that was a thing. And I had also won like $100,000, like, um, Full tilt, um, like the 1K. Um, I, I won that and you know told them about that. So all of a sudden I'm like, you know, grinding and also winning these tournaments. I'm like, oh, I guess, yes, he's a really good poker player. I guess that's <laughs> what he's doing, you know. Yeah. I would have preferred him like going to business school and doing that, but I guess this is what he's doing. Yeah, it's grind your tail off every day at the 1530, building up a bankroll, and then you get all the recognition when you win a tournament right. um, right. over the course of like a couple days. That's 100% um, how it happened. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's poker. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean you, so it sounds like you did have some visibility or at least an inkling that something like black Friday or something, a force may come to disrupt this age of poker. And it sounds like you set yourself up pretty well um, leading up to black Friday, but what happened at on black friday for you what was your experience like so yeah so 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 new york city i was there for six years and then 2010 i just was i was kind of getting a little sick of new york city um and i was also um i had my, my buddy matt who i actually brought up earlier had just moved out to la and um i had been taking some trips so oh yeah so, so uh, this isn't answering your question perfectly but um so, so one of my one of my big moments in poker was in 2008. Um, so at this point, I was going out to the World Series every year, and I, I knew a lot of I, I I knew all the poker players, and 
I actually had a, um, you know, Greg Mueller and I used to take small pieces of a lot of people in the main event, because at that point, everyone knew the main event was just insane value. So if you had, if you had a bankroll, if you did well that summer, you're taking pieces of people in the main event. So I had a piece of Chino Reem, who got seventh, and a big piece of my buddy, um, Owen Crow, who got 15th. Um, so that was, so that was like a really big, I, I, it was, it, it wasn't, you know, I only had 7% of Chino and, and, you know, Owen, you know, got 15. So I didn't have like some crazy amount of money, but it was still really nice. And then after that, I, uh, I, I, I went out to California right after I, I drove to LA after with that money and started playing higher stakes cash games than really I've ever played before. And I realized that the games, I mean, I knew it a little bit, but I was like, oh my God, these, these, this is almost better than online. I mean, if you can play white chip limit hold'em or mixed games in in LA, um, that's a really good opportunity. So that was 2008. And um, and then, yeah, by around two, I was taking a couple more trips out West at the time. And around 2010, I just decided that I wanted to be in LA to play poker. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, my wife um, gives me credit for having the foresight that Black Friday was coming. You know, she thinks that I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> really, and, and she tells a story like that too. And it really wasn't that, but there was something in my mind. I was like, you know, I don't, I think, I think live poker is better for me right now. And I think, you know, I can always play online. Um, you know, you can go out to LA and you, obviously you can still play online all you want, but it really felt like at the time that going to commerce and playing the white chip games was, 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 the, was the best way to make money. One and two New York city. Um, I love it, but I, I was there for six years and, and you feel like you're in a different world. Um, it's, you know, I, I really, once I moved out of there, I was like, Oh, wow. I was just, consumed with this like one little island and like you almost forget about the rest of the world so i was i was ready to go experience somewhere different and uh i'm really happy i did because um i was i was set up perfectly once black friday hit um uh, i was actually you know i was i was online playing 300 600 heads up triple draw at the time when when when, when the sites just like kind of just went down and uh which was pretty crazy um and uh and, 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 yeah, yeah, I was playing, and and I and I kept that table open for two days. I think Sean Deeb has a story about that too, where he was just like playing on full tilt, like April seventeenth, April eighteenth, because they, <laughs> if you just kept the client open, you could still play. So I was, <laughs> so I was like still playing for a couple of days, and I actually like didn't. I had much more money. I had a lot more money on stars full tilt. That was more kind of messing around and. I actually had like $25,000 on there and, and I ended up just losing it at that table. So I never <laughs> have to worry about my full tilt money because I lost it all after Black Friday. Wow. Um, um, but yeah, so, so I, was, I was set up, I was set up in LA kind of just playing live. Yeah. You say white chip games for the podcast listener, the, <laughs> the chips in guy commerce are white, um, the hundred, hundred dollar chips. What stakes were you playing in the mixed games and how the heck are like we, must have skipped over yeah, something because you're playing 300 600 triple draw like that yeah, where's the, the mix game entry yeah we did skip that um it, part of the reason we skipped it honestly is well I, yeah I, I guess we jumped from 2007 but yeah just at some point 
so so I the way I remember it, the way I tell it is I was playing Limit Hold'em um, on full tilt. It was someone just, you know, a, 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 a losing player, a fun player. And um, <clears throat> and he's playing our Limit Hold'em game. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy, this is crazy. We're playing 200, 400 Limit Hold'em. And all of a sudden he leaves, which, you know, can happen a lot online. And I use the search function. Where is he? Okay, he's sitting at 300, 600 horse. <laughs> and I know the rules to horse. I'm sure I'm better than this guy at horse. <laughs> so I sat down and played. And I think I won, you know, I won $50,000 or something like that in that session. So I was like, okay, now I have a high stakes mixed mix game bankroll. Like, <laughs> how do I play these games? And that honestly is how I started. And um, my buddy Justin, like, had a wedding, I think, soon after. And one of his friends, um, he always told me about was like a great stud player. So I, I contacted his friend. I was like, hey, the night before the wedding, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, how much is two hours of your time worth? And in and, and this guy, his name is Paul. Um, you know, if you're in Chicago, you probably know who he is. Um, very studious guy, chess player, chess teacher. And he just set up like this awesome lesson plan for me. And I still use some of the things you taught me and in, in, in specifically the stud games. And then, uh, you know, I got lessons from Dr. Raz, uh, um, who was like a, you know, kind of like the Raz guru back then. And I read Sklansky's Raz book and I read Ray Z's Omaha book and Ray Z's Stud Eater Better book. And I just got really into mixed games and, and just, and it was kind of the same thing where like I wasn't great at the time, but I was good enough to beat the online games. And I had, I mean, honestly, luckily I had that session because I really treated that money you know, at least mentally, I was like, you know, this is found money. Like, I'm going to try to grind it up in, in mixed games. And, how, did, uh, how was the experience of playing the mixed games, switching from Limit Hold'em, like just playing all these different formats of poker? Was it more enjoyable? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, I, I ended up, you know, now I'm like a mixed game. That's that's my thing. Like, I'm a mixed game guy. And yeah, I, I it, it is more enjoyable. And I love the stud games. I, I still kind of think the stud games are the most fun games. Um and and it's the type of thing where at least back then and still now a little bit where less now because people just are getting really really good at all the games but if you're just solid at all the games and and you kind of know your what your strategy is in all the games like you you, you're going to have a nice edge at almost any table as long as you know the games and yeah, I, I I enjoyed everything about it. Just switching between the games and 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 all the all that comes all that comes with it. Um, yeah, I I really you know, especially those games. Um, as as it got more into the the Ducey and then all the different names of Raz Daisy and all that different stuff. Like I would play all that stuff too. But like my favorite is just like you know, stud, study a better horse, maybe throwing triple draw and just kind of like the classic like mixed game stuff um you mentioned your wife saying that you were kind of prescient in moving to la and uh because of the because of black friday but yeah i mean it sounds like you've managed to stay kind of one step ahead of the curve like at, at each step you know you're you switch to no limit when the game's really good and then you Right. You know, switch to mixed games when the games are really good, and then you switch to live poker in LA. Back when live poker in LA was like really, really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, after after Black Friday, after you're playing these white chip games in LA, how long 
did that last? Like, what were the average stakes and what did your career kind of look like? You're saying in, in Los Angeles? Yeah, in LA. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I, I was probably the highest volume, mostly mix or limit hold'em player from you know, 2011 to 2018, really, you know, almost right up to the pandemic. Um, I, I would play a lot. I, I, it, same thing. I, I would go there. It's really a Monday through Friday thing. That's kind of always how I've done poker. I guess like Sundays, I would I used to play the tournaments a bit, but just Monday morning, wake up, go to the commerce. Um, usually, I would know what game was going, but if not, I just you know I, I was you know one thing with me, which you know I, I take pride in, but it you know it, it doesn't make me as skillful or as you know brilliant as like someone like Ike Haxon who will just play any game you know against anyone type thing. But I I was always very aware of like where the best value games are, you know, kind of like you just described. I you know, played No Limit, played mixed games. So I would just get on a schedule that I knew that the games were going to be really good. And I knew that if I got in at, you know, maybe if I woke up early and beat the traffic and I got in at 7 a.m. for the 300, 600 game that's been going all night, like I'm going to get a seat and then hopefully the game goes through the day and then I'm sitting there fresh, whatever, you know, half the tables through the night and then more <laughs> people show up. So just honestly, many years of, that type of grinding, you know, Monday through Friday, showing up at the commerce, getting on the board early, getting in good games, you know, you know, it didn't take much, especially in the beginning of the first few years to get in the good games. Um, I would stay at the commerce a lot. Um, even though I had a place in Santa Monica, I just, you know, if I play late and I knew that the game might run all night, Stay at the commerce, wake up in the morning, you know, you know, walk walk downstairs, play around, go up and shower and just keep grinding. You know, that's I really was just playing a lot of poker. Um when you say how high volume, how many hours a week you think you're averaging? Yeah, I mean nothing too crazy. And maybe it wasn't the highest volume, but you know, as far as like a, a professional, um uh probably eight to ten hours a day, um, most days. Um type five days thing. a week. Um, but I certainly would, you know, I also have many, you know, as do a lot of, you know, L.A. players from that area, I have many, many 24-hour sessions mixed in there or 36-hour sessions mixed in there. You know, I would I, I would play till the game broke if the game was great many times. So, you know, I say 8 to 10 hours a day, but it might be like a 36-hour session Monday, you know, get a room at Commerce <laughs> Tuesday afternoon you know, yeah. sleep the Wednesday afternoon and then like play another 24 hour session and then like go home type thing. Yeah. Um, the old crown Plaza hotel. Yeah. It uh, was nice for a little bit. <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. I said it was nice for a little bit. You know, I used to think of, of that place very, very fondly. I, it, unfortunately I don't as much anymore, even though, you know, I, I'm not one to really, you know, talk down about it, but it, it, during, during what I view as, you know, I was never a commerce hater. I, I love the commerce. There's, I've never been a commerce. I've always loved the commerce. Of, there's like, a lot of them out there. I know. I know they are. And I, I don't really, I've never really understood it. Like I, I've always loved the commerce um, yeah. personally, but I haven't played there since probably 2014 or 2015. And right. from what I've heard, things have, things have gone downhill over the past six or seven years. They have. And unfortunately, you know, I had some chips just like sitting at my desk during the whole pandemic. I had like, you know, I had some commerce chips. So finally, like a couple months ago, I like went there and I like, cashed them in and 
you know, not, not to, you know, not anyway, it was a little desolate there. And they, they had started moving some of the gambling tables into the poker, the high mm. stakes poker. Area. I think actually that whole high stakes poker area, as far as I know, is not ex- in, existen- in existence anymore. Um, there is like still that that back area with tons of poker tables. And I that's where I assume the high stakes games would be if there are any. But yeah, it's 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 not it, it has it has changed and the pandemic uh, accelerated that, unfortunately. Wow, that's that's that makes me sad. There's it no was, it was high a very stakes poker. Weird feeling for me, especially because I just ex- explained like that was like my home. You know, I'd stayed there many times and like walking through it, I was like, oh, this is this is much different. This is not the same anymore. Yeah, for people that don't know, I mean, there's a lot of tables in that high stakes area, like a yeah. shit ton, and they're like pretty much always ramming and jamming, like no matter the day of the week. Like, I was playing the the. 1020 no limit or 600 no limit at commerce and there was a game 24 hours a day like didn't matter what time at night there's like five or six and from what i've heard like those games don't even get spread these days which is no sad yeah yeah for sure i i feel very fortunate that like i that i was there for a lot of that and uh, also that you know i um that I don't necessarily want to or need to do it anymore. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, I, I got lucky, you know, I mean, getting into poker before moneymaker, you know, I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I followed the right path, but I was also just in the right place at the right time. A lot of times. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, give yourself some credit too, because clearly you're thinking at a high level and you've got a lot of grit, perseverance and, you know, studiousness that served you very well when the, you know, when the getting was good. Um, tell me about this. You're wearing a draft Kings, like a (laughs) pullover right now. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the daily fantasy sports stuff, because like, this is another part of your sort of gambling journey that, I mean, for me, it kind of just came out of nowhere. Right. It was like, wow, Jesse Martin, like (laughs) takes down this thing. Um, tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, well, my, my daily fantasy story, um, Starts back into like 2009, 2010, when Chris Fargis, you know who that is? I don't. He, 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 back in the day, he was like known as like the best triple draw player, like in the early 2000s. Um, he actually like gave me like first like four or five triple draw lessons. Like it's kind of a theme for me. Like I've always, you know, Mark Gregorich, I took a bunch of Omaha lessons from. So I've always like sought out people and taken lessons. That's really how I learned poker back then. Not as, it's still probably a great way to learn poker, but maybe a lot of people are more isolated with it. But I think it's anyways. a great way to learn games that are different than like right. no limit. Yes. Although now like you can rig all those solvers for all these different games and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, so he uh basically gave me a phone call one time. He was like, Listen, um, I'm starting a company. I think you know it's the type of thing that you would be super interested in. Do you want to invest in it? It's uh, basically he described daily fantasy sports. He's like, this is what I'm doing. I think it has a chance to be really big, you know, $50,000 or whatever you want to invest. Like, you know, you know, you're my buddy. And I think, you know, you're the type of person who might want to do this. I didn't, you know, I called my cousin who's this hedge fund guru investment guy. And he's like, he's like, Jesse, don't touch that investment. It's most likely illegal. You don't need that headache. Don't do it. That's basically like what he said. He's like, you just can't do that. You can't invest in illegal things. 
fast forward, like, you know, it, yeah, not to tell the story too much, but I don't actually think I would have ended up making a ton of money from that investment unless somehow I like got involved in the space and, you know, found my own way. But because I, I don't think that that exact company, uh, although they did launch and, and they sold their company for, for, you know, for some amount of money, but DraftKings and FanDuel just ended up just kind of, you know, consuming, you know, taking over the space. But anyway, so, so, so that was my original thing. And I actually had a bias against daily fantasy sports at the time. Cause like in my mind, I was almost like for many years rooting for it to fail. Cause like, Oh my God, like <laughs> I could have yeah. been on the ground floor of this thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, as it went on more and more people got into it, I, I realized, Oh, now the reason I don't like fantasy sports is cause I can, I can tell that if I do this, I'm going to be addicted and it's going to, there's no way that I'll have the same EV as I do in poker. And it's gonna, I just feel like it's going to consume me. I just knew myself and I knew it would. And then one season I just got in, I just got involved, you know, one season I just did it, you know, it was just getting too big and I would got totally addicted. Um, and actually kind of the same story as like some of my other stories, just, you know, when you think about the run good, like I still remember, like, I don't know if it was week one or week two, but I, I won this tournament for $30,000. Uh, you know, it was like $200 tournament. I won it. I remember Le'Veon Bell on Monday night um, just, you know, went off and all of a sudden, like I'm shooting up the leaderboard. And from that point on, I was totally addicted to daily fantasy sports. Um, so I would just, I would just play poker all week. And then on the weekends, um, I would just, you know, just start just cramming Saturday, you know, daily fantasy. And, and that's kind of what I did for, a few years, um, yeah, and, and I just got really into it. Although I still was only really doing, or I, I, yeah, I was only doing football, and it wasn't like it wasn't like I was, I, I wasn't playing high stakes. I was playing like mid stakes, and I really just thought of it as as fun. Um, and, and I thought that I had an edge, um, and I, I probably did have a small edge. And uh, just kind of grinding, and then um, yeah. So where does that take us? So so yeah, I, I had years where I lost. I had years where I lost six figures. I had years where I you know won small six figures, and I was just kind of going along. And then um, I guess 2019 season, I just I they have these satellites to 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 this to the big live final tournaments, like the main event. But the the only thing is the main event you um you have to qualify for. So it's not, you can't just buy in, you have to qualify for the main event. And I had won, so I guess the year before, actually, sorry, I, I had won three, three of these seats and they're high value seats. I started chasing them a little, you know, I was doing well in poker. So I had a little extra money and I was like chasing getting in these, these live finals, which probably wasn't even a plus EV situ- situation, but I've always been, I'm, 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 I've always been really into sports and it's just, I just loved it. So I was just playing. So the first year I actually won 2018, I won two seats on FanDuel, one seat on DraftKings. FanDuel, I I, I was like in second place um, at halftime. And like I kind of like I was at the live final and I kind of had the juice. And but uh my stack, I had Cam Newton and and they're up 42 to nothing or something at half. <laughs> and I was in second place up here on the leaderboard, and all of a sudden Cam doesn't even start the second half. So he doesn't even play. So, you know, I went from, you know, thinking I was going to have a chance to win the whole thing to, you know, basically coming in 37th and 
trying to how many start. people are in these things like how many Around people are in these main events it, it's so it's like a it's basically like a 60 60 to eighty thousand dollar equity buy-in which is pretty mm. amazing you know? yeah pretty, that's pretty big yeah it's, it's huge and then uh 200 people ish so so it's any so so i played in i had one seat in the one that aaron jones won um that where he won five million and it was supposed to be on espn until it kind of wasn't on ESPN. Wasn't. <laughs> yeah what's the payout uh, structure it's pretty um it's not too top heavy um and everyone gets something it's like it's it's like fifteen thousand for last oh just wow like qualifying uh, you get something yeah so that's nice get, yeah so it's like two million for first hundred uh, one million for second it pre- pretty like um uh you know n- n- um smooth payout structure um and then yeah, so, so so once I got that taste, um, I, I was just I, my son was born in 2016, um, and uh, during that time um, I didn't play as much poker. Um, I, I was kind of, um, especially after he was born, um, you know, we kind of did the thing where we just you know um, we just we were just at home um, for the first I don't know how many days, 60 days or 40 days or whatever whatever like. You know, there's some people have this theory that you're just supposed to stay, you know, you know, so whatever it is, that that's what I did. I didn't play poker um, and it was great. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, but I just don't remember the exact uh, scenario. Yeah. But, you know, while I'm home, not playing poker, not playing online poker, I, you know, got more consumed than ever in, in daily fantasy. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the times those during football season, I would play a little less poker and probably cost myself some EV um, through the years. Um, but it, it allowed me to stay home more. So I, you know, it, with, you know, with my son and with my family and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just got really into it. And then in the end, uh, or, or, you know, in 2019, I had won one seat to the live final. Um, I had qualified, I had qualified earlier in the year and I had one seat. I don't remember. I probably chased more seats, but I only had one. And as luck would have it, I just, I came in first place. You know, I, I studied, doesn't, I mean, not to say that I did anything special, I, but I, that week I didn't play any poker. I was just reading every single beat writer, every single, whatever it was really the same preparation I did the year before. Um, and it is just this crazy opportunity where you have this chance. If you run good on one day, you win $2 million and Somehow that's what I did. You know, I just put together the lineup that that won. You know, that the, the game in first place, and it was a uh, it was really a life changing event for me. Um, you know, as much as you know, I had money from poker. Like it, it just something about that score was just like, okay, this is like, you know, it, this extra little padding that I had. So it was a uh, it was amazing. It was it was an amazing day. <laughs> just it, 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 you wake up in the morning and. If your running back is hurt, you just make fifteen thousand dollars. But if like all your guys score touchdowns, you have a chance of winning two million dollars, and that's just kind of what it was. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really sick, and, and also like, it eclipses your biggest poker score by quite yeah. a bit too, right? Like, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that's a that's a serious score. I mean, uh, winning four hundred thousand dollars in a poker tournament is a serious score. So, yeah, two million in one day when you don't really do anything once. It starts, you know, like you're just watching it, you know. Tell me about the sweat. Was was your wife sweating with you? Like, so, um, I, I didn't. So, so the live finals, uh, you know, keyword is live. 
So the first one, um, when I qualified the year before, uh, I went down to San Diego, which was where the live final was. And the day before, they had this whole thing set up. They have a party and they have this obstacle course, which, by the way, I, I won where you um, <laughs> <laughs> you like run through all these like gauntlets and then like Dan Marino throws you a pass. And then like, <laughs> you like, you know, then you like throw a pass to someone else. And then you like go through this other course and you kick a field goal. And like Joe Montana like says, nice job. Like, those, two, those two guys are actually there. And then like there's a party at night where. There, there's drinking and stuff. Which I, I didn't go to the party at night. Um, I knew enough not to do that. But like that, that process in my mind, I was like, why, why do people do this? Why do people come to this? You know, like I, I'm used to poker where I have two big screens and and this whole setup, and I'm studying. I got spreadsheets, and then this time I was down in San Diego on a laptop, and all of a sudden I'm playing for the most money I've ever played for, and I, I'm not on my setup. Yeah. So this next year when I qualified, I was like, okay, I'm not going to the live final. And and it's kind of, I, I maybe shouldn't even say this on podcast, but whatever. It, it, now it's the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't want to go. Um, I wanted to stay home and, and play. So what I did, what you asked me about my wife, which is how I got into this tangent, my wife and my son went and they were my, my representatives because <laughs> in the end they can't, I don't think the sites are really going to do anything, but especially now with the pandemic, but, um, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that like everything, and, and it was, it, it is included, like, uh, there's a hotel room and, and, and flights and everything. So it was a free trip for them. And we have family out in Florida. So they went out and also the added benefit of that was now I have the house to myself for seven days and I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to worry about dishes, garbage, you know, anything else I just study, you know, think about football, study football. And so I was, I was there by myself. I was so, so, you know, as, as the day came along, I I think one friend had considered coming over to sweat with me, but in the end I was just at my house by myself, just, uh, you know, just studying up until lock. And, you know, I, I ended up playing Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill. And there was, it was, there was snow in the game. And I, up until the last second, I was like, trying to figure out how bad the snow was, how bad the weather was, like, you know, thinking about, okay, a lot of people aren't going to play them. I really do think they're the best combo. So now I'm going to get them at lower ownership, but I'm, but, but they're going to be in the snow and all that stuff. And just kind of just going through all that by myself or on the phone with a couple of friends. And once it started, you're, you're basically really the sweat is you're, you're rooting for nothing to go wrong is really what it is. Like you don't want your starting running back to fumble you basically just want to stay live as long as possible. And, and that's, that's what was happening in the early games. I was just, I was staying live, like good things were happening, bad things weren't happening. So then as it goes, you know, you have a couple of players in the later games and you're like, okay, like if this, this, and this happens, like it's still a big parlay, but I have a shot. And all the stuff just kind of kept happening. You know, my, my backup, you know, my cheap wide receivers were scoring touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so your wife's there, like your wife's, wife's in Miami. Yeah. yeah but she's, she's my son. So it's like, she's still chasing him around. She's not, <laughs> she doesn't totally understand. I mean, she can look at the leaderboard and see that I'm in like second or first or fourth. And Lizzie Harrison was like the, the DraftKings liaison there. And so they kind of knew each other. And she's like, Hey, you know, Jesse's got a shot. And she's like, okay, but my son's just running over there. <laughs> so, yeah. 
she was out there yeah but yeah so it was yeah at the end like if she knew i won as i did so i was like i called her i was like i won she's like i know this is ridiculous yeah just, you know what it was that's crazy man it's a great story and yeah. it's been a couple of years but congratulations you still in the daily sports um world do you get anything for winning like any future entries or anything no, like that in fact, they, besides the know, two million dollars of course no you know you don't and yeah really nothing really came of it um as far as like any of that type of stuff which was totally fine with me um yeah i'm still involved and in fact last year i i um i won eight seats to the live final last year um i i you know i played more I, um and I ended up coming in seventh with one of the seats, which was, it was still, I mean, it basically I made like a little bit more than I would, than like I would have at par, but you know, I, with eight seats, I was clearly thinking I had, had a shot <laughs> back to that. Yeah. And I did, I mean, you know, my, my one lineup, you know, one little tweak here or there. And I really, I, I don't know if I would have got first, but I, I had a really good shot of getting second. Um, anyways, so yeah, I'm, I'm in there, but um, it's still like last year I treated it pretty much as like my main job like this year it's kind of secondary or it is for sure secondary i'm really just doing it cramming saturday you know listen to podcasts a little during the week cramming saturday night doing my little spreadsheet which i most people would laugh at you know i'm, I'm sure people have way better um you know uh ai than i do or i don't have it yeah yeah but i i i'm entering my lineups and i'm in there i had a decent week one the decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Reflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game. 
just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Yeah, I... I'm ashamed to say that like in my data research for poker strategies and stuff, my spreadsheets look very homely, um, yeah, very I sad. I saw like a data anal data analyst who like does it for a living. Um, yeah. He like showed me a spreadsheet and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I didn't even know spreadsheets could look this nice. Um, yeah, no, people would laugh at what I have. I mean, my, I have a cousin who, uh, yeah, funny. So he actually went to Syracuse. He's 15 years younger than me. He was actually the same major as me, um, but he was actually really good at it, and he, he still works. Uh, so, so he, I pay him like an hour hourly rate, like just to kind of like go through my spreadsheet, or it'd be even more of a disaster. But it's really not nothing and all that special. Well, I mean, even still, congrats. And yeah, no, thank you. It's it was. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I'm very grateful for, for for that moment, that week, that day, all of it. You know? One shot too, you know, one shot. Yeah. You took it down. Eight, yeah. eight, no dice. Exactly. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you haven't been playing much poker. What led to the, you know, I guess the pandemic is one part of it. Yeah. Um, was that the major part that kind of pulled you away from poker, or have you just been considering for a while that maybe you want to do something else? Um, more of the pandemic, honestly, um, the pandemic combined with the DraftKings thing. Um, but yeah, so I was playing, I was playing a lot of poker all the way up to the pandemic. The games were actually really good, but not as enjoyable. Um, so the games were good, but it was more, um, the, the politics that, that you hear about these days. So like there's, there's private games, you have to be friends with this guy. Um, you have to, you know, you know, whether it's a pro who runs the private game or, or, you know, a fun player, you know, who gets you invited to the private game, whatever it is. And there's usually only one game running instead of a bunch. So like if you get in a game and your buddy who's a professional doesn't, then there's like hard feelings and it really wasn't as fun, but I was playing a lot because the games were good and I was, you know, positioned myself politically, not perfectly, but like enough where I was getting in enough of the games where it was worth my time and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I was not enjoying it as much. Um, so, so I won the DraftKings tournament December 
2019, you know, so pretty close up against the pandemic. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and just pretty much in February of 2020, as everyone started talking about stuff on Twitter, I kind of just, I kind of just didn't really, I just kind of stopped going for a little bit. Like, okay, let's see how this all sorts out. Um, and I, yeah, I haven't played live poker since, and I, I don't really plan on playing serious live poker again for a long time. You know, I, it's, yeah, it's just, it, 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 I, I really, while I was doing pretty well at the time, although there was stuff with, with loaning people money and all that kind of stuff, but I was still doing well. It was not, I was not enjoying it as much. And I live further, like you said, I live further from commerce now. Um, and I, yeah, just the lifestyle, I, I had finally fallen out of it. I, I still love poker and I don't, I don't think I'll play the World Series this year. I certainly look forward to playing many World Series poker events, you know, throughout the rest of my life. But uh, yeah, the daily grind, I, I kind of, I'm kind of off right now. So what are we doing? What are we spending our time doing these days? So I took the DraftKings money, which I, which I just kept in cash for a while. Um, well, so, so first of all, so I, um, have a buddy, I have a few friends, but really, I, I think of one specific friend, my friend, Nick, who I called him up, um, in February. I was like, Hey, my IRA has been doing really well. He had kind of helped me a little, just, just a friend of mine who was good investments. I'm like, but I I'm thinking of just selling everything like, you know, Doug pokes on Twitter talking about how the world series of poker is going to be canceled. You know, everyone's talking about all this stuff. Like what's my upside here? Like, like, like the, you know, everything's been running up and I've been, you know, my accounts, you know, my IRA is doing well. And he's like, you know, that's not the worst idea. You know, you're, you're probably a lot more downside than upside. I was like, all right, I I'm doing it. So I just like sold all my stocks, my IRA, like mid February, which basically like the top of the market, like super <laughs> lucky. Um, and I just had all, so that was all in cash. And then I had, I had never invested my DraftKings money. So like once, so once the pandemic hit and the market crashed, I called my, you know, I was still talking a little bit. I called my buddy Nick up again. I was like, I was like, so at some point, are you, are you getting, are you going to buy stuff back? You know, I, I really, I mean, I, I'm making it sound elementary because that's really where I was at the time. I was like, you know, so at some point we're supposed to buy stocks again, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I'd say pretty soon. And I was like, all right, well, like, do you mind if I like text you during the day? And like, you know, if you find like an opportunity, you let me know. And that's kind of how it started. And I just kind of set, I just got my, I, I transferred whatever, you know, besides like the money I set aside for taxes, transferred all my DraftKings money or whatever. I, you know, I had my IRA, which, you know, I, a lot of poker players, um, have SCP IRAs, self-employed IRAs where you can like put yeah, it's it's a it's a cool um you know if you're a poker player and you don't have it it's you should look into it because they let you put a decent amount of money in an IRA every year so so I had, I had done that so, you know, I had, someone gave me good advice when I was younger I, I contributed to that for a while so anyway so I had some money on there and I just bought the dip you know and I so I and and through that I I just started paying attention so I there had nothing else to do. Um, and I, you know, kind of made a agreement with my wife. I was like, Hey, until 1 PM, can I do the stock market? You know, and you, you know, cause during the pandemic, like we have a son, no one's going anywhere, you know, it's full-time daycare. Um, and it's like it, 
you know, give me 20 minutes to unwind after one and I'll take them the rest of the day. And that's what we did, you know, for many, many months throughout the pandemic. So I was just waking up early, doing the market and then doing that. And then as the months went by, I was just learning more and more and more. And um, my friend Nick helped me a lot. And then I found, I found like these, you know, kind of, again, back to like what we talked about in poker, like the card runners thing. There, there's, there's these stock, there's these groups um, in the stock market, you know, fin tw financial Twitter, where people are, are charging money um, to give you stock advice. And I asked my buddy, who's a full-time trader in New York City about it. He's like, ah, and I, I just assumed those are all scams. And I was like, and, and for whatever reason, I was like, well, I wonder if they are. Like, maybe, you know, I mean, these guys have a hundred, a thousand people, you know, it, it's a great business model. They have a thousand members. Everyone's paying them $150 a month. That's a ton of money. If they're good, they can get more subscribers. You know, maybe there's some value there. So, so that's I a pot odds model too, right? It's 150 bucks. What does it matter? Exactly, and and that's all from poker. It's just like you know, if Mark Gregory, you know, he he was a great teacher, but if he's a shitty, you know, Omaha Interbetter teacher, I lose 300 bucks. Who cares? You know, yeah. it, it, if he teaches me one thing about how to play Ace Three suited, I'm gonna make you know twenty thousand dollars. So you know, it's yeah, just, it's you retain it for the rest of your life. Like it's right. it's has so much value. So it was that same type of thing with the stock market. I was like, you know, I might as well join these groups. And um, some of them were better than other, but through my friend Nick and then joining these groups, um, I I felt like I was, I, I, I had the tools to beat the market. And all of a sudden I started waking up at three in the morning and learn, you know, reading more and learning more. And all of a sudden I turned into a full-time day trader. And that's kind of what I do now. Um, and then, as the market got harder, I got really lucky again, you know, kind of the theme of a lot of my uh, professional life. I met this guy um, named David Prince, who, who, long story short, runs a runs a trading group, which which he started during the pandemic, basically because he had he's just a really outgoing, nice guy. And he had just too many people messaging him, asking him questions. You know, I had my friend Nick who I was messaging. So he he just had me and that even for him. We talked about it was a lot. You know, David's got people messaging him on Facebook, Telegram, text messages, calling him. Hey, you know, you told me to buy Amazon yesterday. It's up eight percent. What should I do now? He's like, do what you know. I I gave you eight percent. Like you really have to call <laughs> yeah. me. Like figure yeah. it out. What do you want from me? Yeah. So anyway, so he started. He, he his idea instead of you know telling everyone to you know, you know, go, go screw or whatever it was. Okay, I'll start my own group, and that's yeah. what he did. And and so so he. To me, you know, and not to sound like a shill because, you know, it doesn't totally matter to me, but he he has this unique group that um, th that without that, I, I wouldn't really be, you know, the, the market was easy in 2020. You know, anyone could just buy and stocks went up. And that's really how it was. Um, if you know the right people or you're focused a little more, you might be able to do better. But like, really, if you had money in the market, you, you, you know, your portfolio is going to go up. Now it's a lot harder. Um, and and I haven't, I, I've done okay in 2021, but I've certainly, I've made a ton of mistakes, um, but I'm learning and I'm learning through, yeah, I basically, I mean, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning how to actually, I'm trying to learn how to actually be a professional day trader. And, and I think I'm on the right path. So that's kind of what I'm going to try to, you know, just like I took the opportunities for, you know, 
triple draw or whatever it was at the time or Nolan Oldham, like now I feel like my time is best spent learning this. And I, it, there's, there's a lot of opportunity if you know what you're doing. Um, and I guess the jury's out if, you know, in a couple of years, I'll, I'll, I'll know what I'm, or, you know, if it seems like I know what I'm doing or if I took advantage of the opportunity, but that's what I'm trying to do. Um, are you loving it? You getting, getting obsessed with learning? I really, really like it. Um, part of what I like is the schedule, even though it is a little grueling. Um, you know, my son is at school from nine to two and I'm training from four in the morning to one. So one o'clock, I mean, there is stuff, you know, I'm on the West coast. There is stuff that happens after hours, but for the most part, you can, you can set a few orders in or, or you can miss the value of after hours and, I can pretty much at 110 go take a nap for an hour and then I'm I'm awake, you know, for five hours. And it doesn't mean I have to hang with my son like the rest of the day, but like, you know, I just have all this time, you know, in the beautiful weather of LA and I, I live in a great place. And I, I really, you know, instead of driving an hour and 15 minutes to commerce, you know, and all that kind of stuff, I, I'm I'm really enjoying the lifestyle and I'm also enjoying the training um, and learning and, and, you know, winning is a lot more fun than losing. You know, the other day I, I made two huge mistakes and I had, and I had a bad day and that wasn't that fun, but like today, like I made less mistakes and the stocks that we were in were going up and it's, you know, an amazing day. And then I take a nap and then, you know, go outside with my son and do a podcast. And yeah, so I, you know, it's, it, it's, it, I'm enjoying the lifestyle. Good man. That sounds great. Uh, I always yeah. love to hear the stories of folks that have, you know, been chasing poker greatness and then transition into something else that they there's, that they love. And there's so much from poker that that especially like last year and maybe some of it was luck, but like so much of the risk reward of of, of what you learn in poker has helped me in this. Um, you know, I've had a lot of friends who have been like, "Hey, like get into this group with David Prince and and you know." I'll tell you what to do. And, and, you know, like, this is a great opportunity, but like, if they're not poker players, it doesn't matter if they're smarter than me, as smart as me, whatever it is, it's hard to like grasp. Okay. I'm going to put this much money on this stock and hope it goes up. And why am I doing it? And, Oh, well, because Jesse said it's more <laughs> likely to go up than down. Like if you're a poker player, like, Oh, 54% chance. All right, fine. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, but like, Let's dance. Yeah. But if you're not, it's it's hard to okay well okay i'll just put two thousand dollars into it like okay but you're not gonna you know it, it, you know it's it's just so 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 yeah so so like the life of 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 taking those you know small opportunities is really especially during the pandemic where the right play was to gamble you know really really has helped me a lot yeah i mean i mean really if you think about what poker is or for the podcast listener like it's taking very small edges every single hand right like you said a big bet an hour well that's taking you know you play i don't even know how many limit hold'em hands you play live in an hour like 35 40 something like that yeah um you're just taking a sliver of ev like every hand is just one little sliver and that just adds up at the end of your session to your edge and so like trading you have a very sliver of ev and you take it and you just take it as many times as you possibly can and that's where the edge comes from, I assume. For sure. And, and I've also made some big mistakes. Um, you know, and this is where the learning comes in. You know, I, 
usually usually I'm taking advice from other people. So so let's say they like there was this talk called LMPX, which um it was an online. It was kind of like a room, uh, like an online that they're selling cars online, and they're saying, "Oh, we we love this stock. Uh, you know, great great opportunity." So I ended up buying like a lot of shares of it. You know, I was like, you know, to say that's my. I had some cash in my account. I just sold something. Like, all right, well, they love it. That's got to be seventy percent. <laughs> you know, like let's yeah. pile in. The next day, it's down like sixteen percent, and like. I was just, I, you know, I asked David, I was like, you know, listen, just, just, just for the, so I know in the future, here's how much I bought of this, you know, about how much money I have. Did I mess this up or like, <laughs> or, or am I unlucky? He's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's, because it's like this dinky little stock that like anything can happen. So like, if I bought that much of Apple, you're either going to be up 3% the next day or, you know, really 1% the next day or down a half a percent. It's not a big deal, but these other, you know, so, so I had to kind of, I should have probably grasped it earlier, but I had to learn that lesson that some stocks you take this amount of risk because they, they you know, they, they move up and down more. And so as I've, you know, learned all that stuff, like you can really dial it in and there's just a lot of, uh, there's a, you can really figure out the, the right risk management it, it, and, 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 you know, someone like me or like you, like we're willing, if we, if we know it's the right bet, it's a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> like, right sure. The curse sure. is we see the, we think we have an edge. We're like, all right, all yeah. in baby. Let's yeah. like, let's, let's pile. Yeah. Um, speaking of like volatility, uh, is crypto on your radar at all? Definitely on my radar. Um, I, um, it's definitely on my radar. You know, I, I, I bought some crypto in 2017. Um, and Remind me of, of 2017. End of 2017. Was that the run up to like 20K and then yeah, no, got I was, blasted? I was, I was luckily early enough where, where, I, where I, yeah, I mean, I bought, I don't know, around 3,000 or, you know, I, I remember I started thinking about buying it probably even a little earlier. I started thinking about buying it like 1,600. People were talking about it at the poker tables, starting to you know, eat the 100, you know. I was like, you know, first I was, I wasn't like super into it. And then like, I finally started doing it. Um, I definitely lost some, I mean, I, I, overall I did well in 2017, but I certainly like the last, like one or two things I did in 2017 were like stone disasters, like just like sending a bunch of Ethereum for some IPO that like, you know, was a scam or whatever. You know, I had a couple of those and then I just kind of held, um, and then when this this next rent run up came, I kind of just held, you know, I never didn't really sell much. I, you know, I made one little trade on, you know, added a little on it. it the, the basic story is I, I never I didn't get super involved, but I'm exposed enough that like I'm in there. But I've certainly I, you know, I, I, I I've, I've had many opportunities to, to buy uh, CryptoPunk at the right time and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, I, I've just been so immersed in um, in regular trading, uh, just like the U.S. stock market, that even though I see the opportunities and I'm paying attention, or I or I don't know if I see them, but I, I'm, I'm I know there's opportunity out there. I I kind of had have made the conscious decision that I have enough of my net worth exposed to crypto, and I'm sure it's not optimal, but I'm in there, and. Um, you know, I just don't have enough time 
in my mind to learn what the right NFT is and how to flip it and what page to look at. And, you know, DeFi, I, I probably should have got it. Anyways, I, I, no, I'm not that involved. I, I, I know about a lot of it. I'm, I'm on a couple of text message threads and all that type of stuff, but I'm, I'm not active at all. And also like with taxes and stuff, like it just feels like such a mess to just be in there trading and stuff. And that's really yeah. honestly one of the main reasons. I just like to hold it and hopefully it just keeps going up. <laughs> hold and pray. Create, yeah. Don't, um, create, don't create taxable events is kind of, it, 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 that's, that's a theory that, you know, probably honestly kept me from buying a crypto punk when they were, you know, a lot cheaper and stuff, but you know, that's kind of what I've been going with. Yeah. I mean, it's not so bad. And obviously the exposure goes up like over the last few years in crypto, just because it's <laughs> because the run up's almost 50 K Bitcoin. The other thing I do do is there's, um, there, 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 there's these, um, equities, um, there's GBTC and E-E-T-H-E, um, which, which basically mirror, um, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, um, on a merit on like any brokerage. So, so I do, I do do a little bit of that, like, Hey, I'm bullish crypto. I'm going to add some, some, some GBTC and stuff like that. So I, I am kind of trading around doing that a little bit. Um, but that's like almost just more of my like day trading thing. But that, nice. that is a way for me to get extra exposure if, if I feel like I'm missing out or whatever. Yeah. I, I just know that, I mean, the poker world, obviously crypto, crypto was like a big utility in poker. Like for me yeah. playing online poker, I, I recognize you util, uh, utility of it because it's like, oh, I need money and they'll just send me Bitcoin and now I have money. I don't have to get okay, a check yeah. from Singapore. Um, well, I never really experienced that because I um, I, I loved Black Friday. Like I loved not having poker in my house because because like in New York City, like just I just always felt like the gravitational pull to go to that computer and play. So like yeah. once I was like doing well at the commerce, like okay when i'm home i'm not playing poker and like so i never really played on any of those sites but because of that i kind of missed out on that what you're saying like you like you know hands-on experience like bitcoin and ethereum and or, or bitcoin probably but yeah, yeah so. well bitcoin specifically because it was a way to get paid which was nice yeah. because we didn't have many ways to get paid for a number of years that's huge um so tell me about this this project that you're firing up it's uh in the podcast space right in oh yeah um it, it hasn't really or it yeah and it hasn't been announced the world because it, it certainly it might not even happen but i hope it happens we just ordered the mics and all that kind of stuff but yeah just just my buddy um who i alluded to a little bit um david prince um inner circle trading he's like a very interesting guy um has a lot of stories super funny but like he's also just really really good at investing and trading like savant level good and he expressed interest in doing it and like for me like i've always like i, I like podcasts i love listening to podcasts like i enjoy being guests on podcasts I've, you know I've, I've always thought like my wife and i almost started a podcast together and you know i you know shane schlager who's been a guest on your podcast like i'm really good buddies with him and i've always encouraged him to like start a new hey like i'll help i'll be your sidekick if you like i've always but like you know there's never been something that I know that I'm not going to be the number one draw. Like I can maybe be a sidekick or something, but I think David could really offer a lot of value. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for in podcasts. They want to listen to something and learn something just like, just like your show, you know, they listen to, you know, a, a guest and they say, okay, that's his mindset. And this, so, so I think he can teach and entertain at the same time. So 
I think we're just going to fire up the mics and and put them out there. And you know, we're not looking to make money off it, especially in the beginning. Or I think we're hopefully we're both pretty busy, especially him. And we've kicked it around a bit, but we've taken the next step where I, I think we're going to throw out the podcast. So. <laughs> you you ordered the mics now. Okay. Now it's a done deal. Um, okay. I mean. There's very little downside. And yes, don't get into podcasting for the money for exactly. those listening. Um, <laughs> there are other ways to make money that are much more efficient. But I, I think it would be good, you know, uh, since you're relatively newish to the trading space, right? Like you've been in it for a few years. I assume he's been in it like his whole life or forever. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of be the bridge for the listener, a proxy for where they're at to ask the questions that are on their mind. And then, you know, he can provide all the immense value. I think that's a pretty good setup for a podcast. Yeah, that's the vision. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you see it that way. Yeah, because I think for him, he's, um, you know, you know, I think Savant really is the right word. Like, I don't think he told, like, sometimes I can tell, and I'm sure he's going to listen to this, but so I don't mind saying it in front of him, but I can tell that, like, because he's so smart and so sharp, that he doesn't totally get why someone else might not get it type thing or it's like or or he'll be like yeah obviously you know like when i explained to you that mistake i made he's like well what are you doing you know but like <laughs> yeah people, you know you got to learn these things so so like you said i think like i can you know i can ask the right questions and get him on the right tangent where i think he could offer a lot of value and then also you know he was a former you know, I think semi-famous club promoter back in his 20s and dated supermodels and all that kind of stuff. So like he kind of has that little backstory too. And and I, I you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And I, I think just, just through me promoting it, like we'll get like a little, you know, not that I'm some famous guy, but you know, I have enough of a reach on Twitter that we'll get, you know, some poker players listening to it. And I think that would be a great target audience for, for him. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I For me, all I'm looking for is I just will, will love the opportunity to just ask him questions for an hour a week, you know, and, and I, I'm going to learn from it and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's a great, like you said, you, you get like free coaching out of it, right? Yeah. Like it's like a, it's a no brainer for you because you get to learn for free from um, somebody who's at the top of their game in their field. Uh, so yeah, man, it sounds, sounds like a fun project and I would be happy to have both of you guys come on. I know um, David was actually supposed to drop in tonight, but his flight got rearranged. And so like he's in the air somewhere as we speak, but would be yeah. happy to have him on um, sometime in the future too. Cool. Yeah. Maybe even at the end of it. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see how we put it in, but yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting for us to see um, how we interact and all that kind of stuff. I, I know he's, he's really good on the mic. I mean, he speaks on the mic and one of the, great things about the stock group is he's actually has a live mic so like while he's buying you know seven gazillion shares of facebook like he can say hey i facebook hit like the 21 day moving average i'm buying seven or i mean i don't, I don't he does i'm buying facebook you know and yeah you know, so like it but he's also on there telling jokes and teaching and all this stuff so i i know he'll be good at it so hopefully i can i, I can you know add a little value on that well you mentioned like the the curse of knowledge i think was what you were alluding to when you were like yeah dummy why would you do that like <laughs> it's like once you know something you can't unknow it you know it's like right. somebody limps under the gun with like ace four off and you're like what the fuck is wrong with you why did you do that you know it's like you can't really you can't remember what it was like to not know all the things that you know and from a teaching standpoint 
it gets that gets tricky. Right. And he is a great teacher. But yeah, as far as a podcast format, I think I, 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 I might understand what the listener, someone on my level might be looking for more than. And that's perfect, right? Because it like right now, so the way I think of podcasting is like I'm a proxy for my audience. And so anything that you say or anything that interests me, like I am going to interrupt and dive in deep and try to go further, right? And so like in that dynamic with you two, you're kind of the proxy for the audience. And so if he's talking and like you're bored, um, you know, yeah. just jump in there and ask him a question. Or if, you, if you're curious about something that he's going to skip over, just dive in. And I'm sure that that will just create immense value for your audience. That's great advice. Yeah, no, I noticed you did that. Even on my intro, you, you kind of dove right. You're like, wait, hold on. What's that? What's that thing you just said? And, and dive into that more. So I, I like that. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and, 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 and sometimes the, 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 when the host doesn't do it, it just drives me nuts. It's like, how can you not follow up on what he just said? Like, you're just going to walk, it's just brush by that. Yeah. So, yeah. I listen and I'm like, oh my God, like, like it's, it's right there. Like they just alluded to something like that's very interesting. And we just like right. skipped over it. I think it's, it, it's a thing that happens when you have like a question preloaded in your mind and you just kind of stop listening because you're trying to hold that question. But yeah, the, the poker player in me, um, I, I look at it like I'm just like reading a, reading a situation and finding what's the most interesting. Uh, I, and I love it. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this space. I think if I didn't love having these conversations and, uh, yeah. So, um, before we, uh, power down here and I totally just pass out, it's yeah, 10, sorry, p- I 10 PM. That. No, no. By the way, good. I haven't, I haven't eaten now in 24 hours. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine how good this podcast could have been had <laughs> yeah. Jesse been nourished and Brad well slept. Um, <laughs> so just a couple uh, lightning round questions and then we'll get you out of here and uh, bring you back on with David if you two do I'd fire up to, your venture. Yeah, if that's something that you think would work, I'd be love to. Of course, man. Of course. Uh, so if you could gift all poker players one book to read, doesn't have to be about poker, what would your book be? I guess I'm just going to say the theory of poker even though uh, I tried to think of something more creative, but I actually think, <laughs> I mean, if you're saying all poker players, like, you know, like, like when I think of all poker players, I think of like my buddies from college, like, like or, or yeah, or I, I have like a lot of friends who um, are into poker and during the pandemic, we used to, it, we used to play all the time and I would try to teach them, but you know, it's, it, yeah. Anyway. So I, I think the theory of poker is just like the nuts and bolts book. Like this is what bluffing is. This is why you bluff. You know, that I think I still think that book really holds up. So I guess that's my answer. Nice theory of poker. Um, if you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's your billboard say? Okay. Um, first thing that popped into my mind. So like earlier, you were talking about um, you're talking about like focus at the table and just like like you described it really well. I forget your exact words, but intensity. Of, yeah, intensity. Yeah. So it made me think of um, John Minetti, Angry John, and like I learned a ton from him. Just you know, um, just just observing how much he pays attention at the table. So I so so I guess the answer would just be pay attention. Um, would, would probably be the billboard, and yeah, it's just he, you know, it, him and I, like you know, we're friendly, but we actually don't even get along all that well, and like you know, it, but like 
I think I told him this before, like he transitioned my game because I was just like, okay, this, this guy is like a huge winning player. He's, you know, when, when he folds, he's watching how everyone squeezes their cards. He, you know, he's not turning around and, and making a bet on the game or running over and, you know, telling a joke to Greg Mueller at the other table. He's watching what everyone does all the way down to the river and he just pays attention. And he, you know, if, and I started doing that for the most part and you just pick up on so much more and you just learn so much more about what you're playing against and about poker in general. So yeah, pay attention. That's all good. Pay attention. Um, we've talked about a lot of things that you've done well at, but uh, we'll close down. What's something the, the listeners would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at science. Uh, I'm not really good at biology or chemistry. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so we, which you would think someone who's good at math or, you know, in a, but yeah, so biology, chemistry, I mean, I got a D in like senior chemistry, you know, partly cause I, you know, was goofing off a little bit too, but like, I think part of it was like my teacher thought I was goofing off more than I was. Cause like, I really just didn't get it. Like, <laughs> he's just like, Oh, you know, you're he's like, I, I'm not getting this. And like, I didn't think he was a good teacher. So like, you're not teaching me. And like, I'm trying a little bit here. So yeah. So I, I've always never been good at science and just like putting, you know, like my door at my office right now, like it, there's like this hinge thing that I need to like fix. And like, <laughs> I, I just keep putting, you know, so just, just stuff like that. I don't know if people would be surprised about it, but I'm, that's, that's certainly what I'm not, not good at. I am atrocious at all handy work things like my wife actually like take fixes the toilet and stuff when it breaks it's kind yeah, of sad better than me too yeah. <laughs> like my wife's like get the drill i'm like well i don't where's the drill like i don't even know how this thing works yeah. like she yeah, my wife yeah and my wife has the has the toolkit yeah, <laughs> uh, are perfect. you good at science and chemistry or are you i don't think so no i don't think i did too hot but math i'm pretty good at math um and i love analyzing data i've learned uh just over the last few years that's something that i never knew that i love doing it but i apparently do love analyzing big data um do you, you got any projects you're working on that are near and dear to your heart other than you know trading in the podcast and raising a family no that's it i mean th this podcast thing I'm hoping will work out really well. And, and honestly, just, just just this inner circle trading group that I'm in, um, you know, to me, it probably doesn't even benefit me, me too much. So like if it just blows up and becomes huge because I'm already in there and I'm getting all the, you know, I, I can't imagine it being much better. Um, but it's it's on le legit changed my life. Um, I, you know, I just moved, just moved to a new house, um, you know, kind of like a dream house. And like, it's all because I have so much confidence that like every morning I can wake up and like beat like the stock market, which is like a pretty empowering feeling. And like, you can also make a lot of money if you can beat the stock market. So that's really like my main, you know, any project or anything I'm a part of that, like I'm passionate about right now, it's this inner circle trading group. Um, it's just good group of people and like a lot of value added. So, yeah. And I mean, he's, yeah, they're like, I mean, it, you, you have to understand what you're doing. You have to, focus and pay attention, but he's literally changing people's lives. So it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you mentioned the shill word earlier too. And <laughs> like, for some reason, like the shill word on poker Twitter gets like a really bad rap where, but it's like, if <laughs> something is valuable, 
then you right. should tell people about it if you care about it, right? Yeah. Like I love when people shill, you know, like Brian Mike Don was just on Doug Polk's podcast the other day and he, same thing. He was like feeling bad about shilling. He's like, I want to hear what you're bullish on, you know? Yeah, like I mean, I sell poker courses, right? But like, I believe that they will fundamentally improve people's poker game. And so like sure. to not sell them, it's just, it's weird in the poker space, like selling, it gets a bad rap. And I don't understand if something works for somebody and provides value, tell me about it. I want to know because like that could provide value for me. Yeah, totally. Although, yeah, I mean, I get, it's been, yeah, I mean, I, I never... Yeah. Anyways, yeah. It, 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 for me, it, it feels uncomfortable to, to do it for some reason, but but you're right. Well, it's uncomfortable, I think, only if you don't believe in the thing that you're evangelizing. You know, if you believe in it, then it's like, whatever. It, it's a great thing. It. Buy it. Um, I, I think, yeah, I was telling somebody the other day, like, we have, we have uh, four cats in our house, and I have this thing called the Litter Robot, and I was telling them mm -hmm. I've probably sold more Litter Robots than any <laughs> Litter Robot salesman ever, like, just telling my poker player, like, you have cats? Oh, get this thing, because you don't ever have to, like, scoop the litter box out, and that's high value. Pay the yeah. $500 for the, the litter box. Um, and, like, yeah, I'm shilling for them, but, like, I think it provides immense value. So to wrap up, if the Chasing Poker Greatness listener wants to learn more about Jesse Martin on the World Wide Web, where do they go? Um, Maze or Bowie on Twitter. That's really my only big presence. Um, yeah. Inner, inner Circle. The Inner Circle. Uh, is it Inner Circle Trading? I guess. I think it's Epic. It, it, they probably could have done a better, better, better job branding, honestly. It's it's. You 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 can find inner circle trading through through my uh, my thing. I I usually respond to them or retweet them every once in a while. Um, yeah, it's Epic Trades One is is their trading group. Epic, Epic Trades is it the number one? Epic Trades number one is is how you find them on Twitter. Yeah, awesome, cool man. And I'll try to put that in the show note. Um, cool. Yeah, that'd be good. And uh, it's been great having you on. Been great getting to know you. And uh, go pass out. I'm going to go pass out and we'll reconvene in a little bit. All right, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I don't think you and I really know each other that well. So it was a, a you know, really pleasant. I don't know if I was surprised, but it was, it was nice to get to talk to you. Um, yeah, man. Same. Yeah, nice getting to know you too. Cool. Ha have a good night. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.